Praise the Lord. All right. You can go ahead and be seated. Church, this morning, I want to welcome you. My name is Greg Johnson. I have the privilege of serving here as lead pastor, and it's so good to be with us. If you are joining us uh, at Mission Church Online, God bless you. It is good to have you with us as well today. Pastor Keith mentioned that uh, later on today at 4 p.m., we're going to have a very special time for the men of our church. And uh, so, brothers, hope to see you today at 4 o'clock. We have a, a special guest who is going to be with us and who is with us actually this morning as well. Uh, we are an Assemblies of God church. That means that we are affiliated with the New York Ministry Network of the Assemblies of God. And uh, as such, we are in a, a cooperative relationship with all of the AG churches across uh, New York State. And we have a uh, team of leaders that kind of serve as the pastors over the pastors. And so this morning, we are blessed to have with us today someone that I consider to be a pastor in my life. He serves as the assistant superintendent of the New York Ministry Network of the Assemblies of God, and his name is Bill Kirk. And uh, he is no stranger to our church. He has been here many times. And uh, actually, we had him scheduled last year to come, and then the pandemic. So we have been looking forward to getting him back here in the church. And I know you're going to be blessed this morning. He's going to bring the word in our services this morning, and then again today at 4 o'clock. So men, we hope to see you then. So let's welcome to our church once again, Pastor Bill Kirk is going to come. All right. God bless you. Thanks, Pastor. Good to see you. Thank you, Pastor. Good morning, everyone. What a joy to be back at the Mission Church, and we thank God for God's faithfulness over this last year. How many of you thank God for your local church? Don't you love the local church? It's God's plan. How many of you love your pastor? Uh, <laughs> and how many of you thank God for the pastor's wife? Come on now. <laughs> yeah. A little higher. All right. So looking forward to 4 o'clock as well today. I want to encourage you to invite any men that maybe you thought they were going to cut the grass or play golf today. It's a perfect day for them to be here at 4 o'clock. By the grace of God, I would like to put this little tool into each of your hands uh, tonight at 4 o'clock. I trust it will be a blessing. Have you ever wondered, instead of Worcestershire sauce, why isn't there a Bestershire sauce? Like, like you're going to sell something. Why would you call it the worst this year instead of the best this year? You ever wonder why a dog can't get a CAT scan? Ever wonder why people say, oh, don't mention it, after you've already mentioned it? Ever wonder if the TV show has been on for 50 years, how young and restless can these people really be? Ever wonder if people are restricted from visiting that part of the hospital? Why is it called I see you instead of I can't see you? <laughs> and have you ever wondered why some people seem to be spiritually growing and others seem to be stuck or going backwards? I've been on a, a journey the last year for that discovery. For a year, I've been looking at a text in Galatians 5. And I want to share with you three verses from Galatians 5, in verse 1 from the ESV, 
For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Galatians 5, 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Verse 25. If we live by the spirit, let us also walk by or keep in step with the spirit. For 27 minutes and 34 seconds, I want to speak on the subject of the great exchange. The great exchange. Paul wrote Galatians around A.D. 50, about 15 to 20 years after Jesus died. It was written to the Christian churches in the area of Galatia and Asia Minor. He wrote the letter for one reason, to defend the gospel because of a dangerous false teaching. What was it? The first Christians in Jerusalem were Jewish, and the gospel spread out from the center, and many Gentiles or non-Jewish people were coming to faith and receiving Jesus. A group of teachers in Galatia rose up and began to insist that the new Gentile Christians practice all the ceremonial customs of the law of Moses. These Judaizers, false teachers, insisted that the Gentiles had to observe all the dietary laws and be circumcised or God would not accept them. It was an attack on the gospel of salvation by faith. And Paul calls it in chapter 1 another gospel from the one that he preached. It was a returning to old legalism to please God. Many people, scholars call the book of Galatians the Magna Carta of the church. Magna Carta, 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 C-A-R-T-A, the Magna Carta of the church. Magna Carta uh, is is Latin for the uh, great charter of freedoms. It comes from the charter of rights or freedoms agreed to by King John of England near Windsor on June 15th, 1215, 800 years ago. I was not there then, but... I'm telling you the truth. It was written to protect the rights and the property and the freedoms against a tyrannical king. And God has used the message of Galatians or freedom to bring about great awakenings to the hearts of millions of people. It's the Magna Carta of all believers. Martin Luther and the Reformation was stirred as Luther studied the book of Galatians. John Wesley said, I quote, he found in Galatians... Peace for which he so longed for. And in this little text, God through the Apostle Paul gives us incredible incredible wisdom to be a healthy, growing Christian. How many of you want to have a healthy soul? Everybody knows the soul was made up of three parts. That you have a mind, the ability to think. You have emotions, the ability to feel, and you have a will, the ability to choose. How many of you want all three of those things to be healthy so that you can enjoy the journey and not end up on Jerry Springer? How many of you want to do that? Come on, come on, let me see it. Are you sure? You positive? Well, here it is. Three, three simple points that Paul gives us in the entire chapter, and I want you to see them. See what God is saying, not through the preacher but through the scripture to our hearts today. The first has to do with freedom because in this text, God answers three questions. What does it really mean to be called to liberty? Verse one, what does it mean to walk in the spirit, not fulfill the lust of the flesh? Verse 16 and 17. And in verse 24, how is it possible 
to crucify the flesh and follow the Holy Spirit's leading in each area of your life. So look at the freedom of the gospel. In verse 1, Paul said, so Christ has really set us free. Can you say the word free? free? Now, why does Paul say this? Because the Jews were offended when Paul preached Jesus as the only salvation for sinners. Jewish legalists who followed Paul around taught three things. Yes, you do need to trust Jesus for your salvation. But secondly, you also need to keep the law and all of its requirements. Thirdly, it takes these two things to make you fully accepted by God. Paul comes along and teaches a different order. He says, one, you need to believe and trust Jesus alone. Two, you are then fully accepted by God and justified by your faith. And three, flowing out of that right standing with God because of his love and because of his grace, your response is then a life of joy and of gratitude and obedience because you're grateful. In other words, I don't serve God and work harder to become accepted. I serve God and love him because I've already been accepted by his grace. Everybody get now we're going somewhere, so follow with me. And it's not because of my works. Now, why is this such a big deal? Because millions and millions and millions of people are going to church and trying harder and harder and harder to find favor with God. Millions of believers are anxious because they base their acceptance with God either on their walk or their works instead of trusting Jesus' walk and his work. When my son was eight or nine years old, he played baseball his whole life. Started like at seven or eight and up until he got married around 29 or 30. And I remember when the coach, I remember at one of his games, I'm sitting there and uh, you know, screaming and hollering like you would. And Christian screaming, of course. You know, not no swear, just Christian screaming. And, uh, and, and it was the bottom of the seventh inning. The other team was up. We were up seven to four. The other team had the bases loaded. But we had a three-run lead. And the, and the guy had walked the bases loaded. So he motions to the right fielder, my son, and says, Robbie, come in. And he puts Robbie in to pitch. Robbie walks the first guy. Now it's seven to five. Robbie, Robbie walked the second guy. Now it's seven to six. Robbie walked the third guy, and now it's tied. And I said, oh, God, <laughs> not, not one more. Four more pitches. He walked the fourth guy. The other team screamed. The winning run came in. I remember Robbie after the game. Had his hat twisted, you know, look, to make it look really sad, you know. And he, he's walking across the field. I'm, I'm sitting in the little Oldsmobile waiting for him. And he gets in the car. He looks at me. He bursts out in tears and says, Dad, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You know, here's the deal. I, didn't, I don't love Robbie because he's a good pitcher and pitches a no-hitter or walks in four base runners and loses in the last inning. I don't love him because of his performance. I love him because he's mine. And so I said, what do you want to do, Robbie? He said, nothing. I said, well, let's go out for ice cream. It took me about 35, 40 minutes with ice cream running all over us, both of us together, to convince him that I loved him just as much before he lost the game as I I did after he lost the game. 
This is why this is written. Paul wrote in Galatians 5, 4, if you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you've fallen away from God's grace. And verse 13, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. So where does freedom found? It's verse 7 of chapter, chapter 5. Listen to Paul. You were running the race so well, who has held you back from following the truth? What is the truth that Paul's referring to? It's the truth of the gospel being justified by faith, Galatians 2.16. We know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ. And secondly, in Galatians 3.6, Abraham believed God. God counted him as righteous because of his faith. And verse 9, everyone who puts their faith in Christ shares the same blessing that Abraham received because of his faith. So here's the truth of the gospel. And you've got to have this to live a joyful, peace healthy, healthy life and soul. Two parts. Part one, justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Second, righteous in our standing because of Christ's sacrifice and substitute. Isaiah said it this way. I'm overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God. Why? For he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and covered me. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.30, because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and re- redemption. So if anyone boasts, they should boast only in what the Lord has done. Now what do these three scriptures mean? They mean, they mean we cannot achieve our right standing, we can only receive our salvation. You say, well, that's pretty basic. I got up in the rain earlier this morning, look at my watch. I'm coming to hear this, I already know. Stay with me. It's God who covers us because it's Christ who became our righteousness. So we can work for it and work for it and work for it. And listen to me online. You can work and work and work and never rest. Or you can trust his work and continually rest. Did you get that? This is why God hates our boasting. Because we are only made holy by the work of another. I've, I've got a lot of friends in this pandemic who have said to me, because uh, traveling in Long Island a lot for an eight-month period, and uh, people have said, are you, getting the, are you getting the vaccine? And then I would say to them, are you getting the vaccine? And half of them will say, no way, no way, pal. No way. I've got faith. Hmm, that's what they say. And the other half of my friends say, of course I'm getting the vaccine. Some, half my friends are getting it, and half my friends are not getting it. Well, that's between you and God, but here's the issue. Because you get the vaccine doesn't mean you don't have faith. And if you don't get the vaccine, it doesn't mean you do have faith. That is such poor theology to think. That is such, to base your salvation and faith on whether you do or don't or do or don't. I walked in this morning and I almost was disturbed in my spirit because I saw somebody on here who's got a mask that's got an NY on it for New York Yankees. Well, I'm from Baltimore. I root for the Baltimore Orioles. You're for the Yankees. You root for the pinstripes. Don't you have faith? Do I have faith? 
It's not based on my performance. The grace of God is free. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can't, you can't strive for it. It's a gift of God. How many of you thank God? We walk by faith. Justification. On the cross, all of our sin was placed on Jesus when he died in our place. But also imputed to us or credited to your account, get this, is the perfect obedience of Jesus. Now, what's that mean? On the cross, we're forgiven. Justified, never sinned. But also, all of Christ's righteousness, because of his perfect obedience, was credited to us so that now we are now free from the law or the law's condemnation and penalty and punishment towards us. And since we've been freed from the law's demands, we now stand in the perfect obedience of Jesus. Now get this, this is the gospel. That Jesus died to absorb the punishment that we deserved and to secure for us the welcome that none of us deserved. What does it all mean? It means two things. Forgiveness means justified, never sinned, no more debt. Righteous standing means justified, justified, always obeyed. Justified, never sinned, and just as if I've always obeyed. You see, Paul's dealing with the gospel or the liberty or the freedom of all believers. Just as if I've never sinned and just as if I've always obeyed. That's the lady at the end of my preaching, kneeling over here, weeping at the end of the service. Pastor, everybody's going home. She won't leave the altar. She's crying her heart. She's crying and crying and crying. And I said to her, sister, is there something we can pray for? And I'll never forget her response. She said, I've had three abortions. There is no way God could ever forgive me and cover me and love me. The issue is not whether you've had one abortion or two abortions or three abortions or four abortions. When you put your faith in Jesus, you receive what Jesus died to give you. And that's freedom from the law of condemnation. It's not about your past. It's about your faith now where God has put you. It's called the gospel. What does all this mean? It means I'm a perfectly loved and accepted child of God. I know what some of you are thinking. Well, what about sin? I'll get to that. I'm not perfect. I'm in process. But before God, I stand completely justified. It's not because of what I can do, but it's because of what God has done. That's why Paul pleaded in Galatians 3, 4. Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? It's impossible. Say it's impossible. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it's impossible. Be sure your mask is on if you're not six feet away. It's impossible. It's impossible. So by grace, our slate has been wiped clean, and by grace, our standing before God is the perfect righteousness of Jesus. That's why Paul pleads, make sure you stand firm and free and don't get caught up again in this deception. Now, here's your big question. Okay, if that's true, freedom... Forgiveness, perfect standing. What about sin? Does that mean now I'm free to do whatever I want? Does that mean now I'm free regardless of what I do and how I live? No, not at all. That's why Paul, under God, was sure to address this in the same section. 
Paul says, since you have the freedom of the gospel that it brings, don't use this freedom to satisfy your own sinful nature. Which brings us to point number two. How many of you know we all have a battle on the inside of us? Don't look at me in that tone of voice. I know every one of your first names. Your name is you. I know every one of you online. Your name is you. God's talking to you. Paul said in Galatians 5.16, let the Holy Spirit guide you and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For the two are opposed to each other. So what is the flesh? That's a great question. What is the flesh that Paul's talking about? Well, the Greek word for the English word flesh is sarx, S-A-R-X. It's used in different ways in this scripture. In Luke 24, 39, flesh refers to our physical body. Jesus said, for a spirit has not flesh and bones as you see me have. In Galatians 3, 3, flesh refers to self-effort. Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? In Romans 6, 19, flesh refers to our weaknesses. Paul said, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. In Romans 6, 19, flesh refers to our former condition before salvation. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. In Romans 7, 8, flesh refers to human fallenness. For I know that in me that's in my flesh dwells what? No good what? No good thing. But in our text today, Galatians 5.17, the word flesh refers to our carnal nature that is operative in all of us all the days of our lives. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, and these two are contrary to one another. So what is the flesh that Paul was talking about? Here it is. The flesh is that principle of fallenness that's operative in our present condition. It's that principle of sin residing in us that drives us to do what our redeemed nature doesn't want to do. It's the lusting for or strong desire that is opposed to what our redeemed nature wants to do and live out. The flesh in Galatians 5 simply describes that strong desire that wants to lead us to sin and reveals an internal war That everybody, excuse me, everybody, even good standing members at the missions church has to deal with. Now, Paul's inside war is everybody's war. You come home from work to be with family. Two choices. Flop on the couch and watch TV till it's 11 o'clock at night. Or are you fully present and engaged with those who love you? You're driving down the road and someone cuts you off right out here on the highway as you leave this sanctuary today. Are you able to endure their inconsideration? Or do you tailgate them, scream nasty things at them, and make them pay for their behavior and read the back of your car where the bumper sticker says, follow me to the mission church where we all love Jesus. You're shopping at Walmart and you put your groceries in the car. I see this all the time. A, do you leave your cart in the middle of the parking lot to drift away and run into someone else's car? Or do you put it back where it belongs? You pull your car out and you swipe the car next to you. And what do you do? You get out, 
And you look real good in front of everybody's watching you. And you get a piece of paper and you write, Jesus loves you. Have a good day. And you stick it on the windshield wiper. Or do you call the police and deal with it? You get paid your salary for working all week. Two choices. Spend it all on yourself. Or joyfully honor God with what belongs to him. You go to McDonald's. This has happened to me uh, three times, I believe. Three times. You go to McDonald's and the server gives you too much change when you pay your bill. Two choices. Part of you says, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. I was just praising the Lord this morning. God's going to send it to me. Mm -mm, Yes, Lord, you're going to send it to me. Thank you, Lord. You answered prayer in 37 minutes. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Or do you return what's rightfully theirs because you trust God to supply what you need? You work hard for the Lord, but sometimes feel unappreciated. Two pulls in the heart. One, you feel a little entitled, so you withdraw and disengage from the body of believers. Or you thank God for grace that he didn't give you what you really deserve. Here's my discovery. When change is necessary, not to change is destructive. Now, why is this so important? Here's why. God has made it possible to overcome the impulses that lead us away from him. But how many of you know we have to cooperate in the process? Say cooperate. How many of you know even the Holy Spirit will not brush your teeth for you? How many of you the Holy Spirit will not cut your grass for you? How many of you know the Holy Spirit will not make your grilled cheese sandwich for you? There are some things you have to do. And so God has made it possible. To submit to the Holy Spirit or by default fulfill the lust of the flesh. He lists the consequences as he gives us all here a choice today. The consequence number one is verse 19 to 21, the 15 works of the flesh that are destructive. The consequences of another choice, verse 22 and 23, are the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit. Sowing to the flesh results in four things. Sexual sins. Adultery, pornography, uncleanness, lasciviousness, religious sins, idolatry, witchcraft, and heresies. Three, relational sins, hatred, strife, wrath, envy, and jealousy. And four, sins of excess, drunkenness, reveling, and partying without restraint. You know why? It's all because of not looking to Jesus to satisfy our heart. It's called gospel forgetfulness. Sowing to the Spirit results in good fruit. So how do we win the battle? Appreciate the message, preacher, but you got five minutes to finish this. You're telling me we have a freedom all because of the grace of God and not my works? Yeah, that's exactly what Paul said. But you're also telling me there's a war going on in all of us to obey the spirit or obey the tendencies or the pull towards our, our sinful nature? So how do you win, preacher? Last point. In verse 24, Paul said, those who belong to Jesus have nailed. Can you say nailed? Nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Verse 25, if we're living now by the Holy Spirit, let us follow the Holy Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. I love verse 26. I believe it's the last verse of the, of the chapter. Let us not become conceited. What is Paul saying? When he uses the term crucified the flesh, this means it's salvation just as Jesus died, so we died and have the ability to turn our back 
from the flesh to serve God. It means now we have Jesus as our new master. As Jesus died for us, so now we can die to the control of flesh, sin, bondage, control, enslavement, and passions that pull us in the wrong direction. In verse 25, the Lord says, follow the Holy Spirit's leading. It means we all have a choice to sow to the Spirit or sow to the flesh every day. Here's the determining factor whether you're a healthy Christian or not. Choices that we make every day to sow to the Spirit, things that produce, make us strong in the Holy Spirit, or make choices that move us away from, not God's acceptance maybe, but it all depends if you continue in that. Making choices that do not please God. God gives us grace to obey his promptings. How many of you know God will give you grace? How many of you know there's nothing, there's no temptation taking you, but, but God is able to what? Give you grace in every season. It means Jesus has destroyed the ruling principle of sin. Here, here, let's just boil it down to practical takeaways. My, my, my son, Dad, what's the takeaway? Don't give me 21 reasons why Jesus is coming back. Give me a takeaway. Everybody wants to know, you want, to hear, you want the takeaway? Here's the takeaway. Here's our part. It means the nature that we feed is the nature that will rule. It means the more we say no to the flesh, the more that sin loses its strength in our hearts. It means the seed that we sow is the harvest that we grow. It means our life will always go in the direction of our most dominant thoughts. It's our part in the process. Are you, you mean I've got a part in this? Yeah, you've got a part in this. It's called growing. It's called changing. It's called character. It's called discipleship. Galatians 6, you will always harvest what you plant. Romans 6.13, do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Romans 6.19, give yourselves to righteous living so you will become holy in practice. Romans 8.5, those who are dominated by the sinful nature, think, 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 think about sinful things. Romans 8.6, letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to spiritual death. Why is this all so important? Well, somebody just sent me a song uh, two weeks ago by Lady Gaga. How many have ever heard of Lady Gaga? Okay, nobody hears this. Everybody's, oh, only the pastor. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank God. Pastor, Pastor Johnson knows Lady Gaga. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, let me put this on tape. Pastor knows who Lady Gaga is. Okay. And so somebody sends me the song two, uh, two, uh, two weeks ago. And, and uh, the, sound, the song sounded kind of neat, so I, I Google it. So Lady Gaga does this music video with Bradley Cooper. What's the song called? Shallow. I heard that. You whispered it, but I heard it shallow. Lady Gaga sings these words. I quote, tell me something, boy. Aren't you tired trying to fill that void? Or do you need more? A man in the video is opening a whiskey bottle at this point in the video song, and he's putting the top back on the bottle with his head bent over, and he's looking depressed. I thought to myself, the words are so relevant. Aren't you tired trying to fill that void, or do you need more? And here's my discovery. 
Without Jesus, we always feel, we always are looking for what? More, 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 more. Solomon said we'll always be what? Chasing the wind. Tim Keller calls them lesser gods and idols to fulfill something that only God can fulfill. How many of you thank God that Jesus is the only one who can satisfy our heart and transform our hearts? Only God can do that. Only God. That's why C.S. Lewis said, idols always break the heart of those who worship them. I conclude with this. Verse 26. Let us not become conceited. What in the world does humility have to do with all of this? He ends the chapter with us. The principle. As the band comes up to play, the worship team, let us not become conceited. What does this mean, preacher? Here's what it means. Sin is sin because we believe that something or someone has greater value than Jesus for our ultimate joy and satisfaction and meaning and significance. How many of you know this morning, whatever we love in our hearts will determine what we do in our bodies? Let's try that again. Whatever we love in our hearts will determine how we live in our bodies. So I have no clothesline preaching legalistic message for you today. I'm not here with good advice. Advice is telling other people what to do. I don't have good advice. I have good news. How many of you know the gospel is good news? News is the report of something that's already been done. How many of you thank God we've been freed by the grace of God and we have the resource of the Holy Spirit to make right choices and the more that we sow to the Spirit and allow God to strengthen our inward man, God gives us by faith the strength to put down, put to death, and say no to the spiritual man. I close with this. You can say yes to God and no to the things that the enemy will use to rob you of your potential. Your choice and mine. Would you bow your heads in a word of prayer just for a moment? Every head bowed, every eye closed, just for, the mo- just for a moment. Only God can change us. But Paul just kind of throws this in at the last point. It will only change us with our humility and faith and cooperation. Just before the service, the pastor prayed for us. I love what he prayed. He prayed, he said, your pastor said, Lord, we can't do this by ourselves. How true that is. We can't live this life by ourselves without your help. We have the freedom. We will always have the fight of the flesh and we'll always have two choices. Sow to the flesh and strengthen our sin or sow to the spirit and strengthen our spiritual man. If you're here today and you know there's something that maybe God is speaking to you about by the Spirit, and and you know you, and God wants to bring change inside your heart. If you know there's something that God wants to change inside your heart, if that's you, would you just slip your hand up and let me see by slipping it up? God bless you. Thank you. 
God bless you to the right. Thank you. And you to the right. God bless you. Thank you, ma'am. And, and you, sir. Thank you. Anyone else? Just, just hold up and say, God, I need your grace. Change in me what's needed. Refocus my affections. Refocus my attention. Help me to trust in you, Jesus. God, we thank you for it. God, we'll praise you for it. God, we'll give you glory for it.